shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakewood, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS. Kelly Grayson. Here it is, and here we go once again, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to go inside EMS. I got to tell you, this is quickly becoming my favorite time of the week, and not because I get to talk to my good friend. Here he is, the Ted Nugent of EMS. Kelly Grayson, Kelly, how are you? What's happening, brother? We are going on the EMS World Tour together, aren't we? That's right, and we're we're calling this uh, we're calling 2016 the Medic Solutions World Tour, straight out of Pitkin. Straight out of Pitkin, crazy <laughs> yeah. ass paramedic named Kelly Grayson. Yeah, Grayson, that's right. So that's we right. are going to be speaking together down in the uh, pediatric conference in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I'm looking the forward to first that. of October. I get to give yeah. the keynote address, and uh, and you get to do whatever it is you're doing. I'm going to sit in the back of the room and heckle you and, and do my best to distract you. You know, here's the thing that I think is going to happen. You'll come in with the intent to heckle. I will start my professional, my energetic, my dynamic presentation, and you'll forget <laughs> why you were there. I'll be, be like, mesmerized and like I'll, I'll be like, you know, in a, in a Tony Robbins-esque trance. You, know? you will be as... Are you going to make me walk across hot coals? You will be hypnotized. Hypnotized. All right. So leave the wrapping well, to me. I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, yeah, leave the wrapping to me. And then <laughs> and then after that, we're heading down to the bayou, and yeah. uh, we'll be at EMS, EMS Expo. Expo. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a busy uh, busy week for us, but um, we'll we'll make it happen. So I don't know if you know this, but down on Bourbon Street, they have some adult alcoholic beverage places that we may, yeah. we need to frequent. I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but we may yeah. want to check that out and see what's you just, going on. You just look for the guy where, with, the, with the big signboard that says, huge ass beers to go. Is that you? Are you working? Is that we <laughs> got a business down that's there? Actually, that's actually a, uh, a deal, you know. Yeah, you I know the guy. I've seen him before. So, well, let me <laughs> ask you this. I mean, so you are going to be speaking as well down in Oklahoma City at the pediatric. What are you teaching down mm-hmm. there? I'm teaching about, uh, I think, children with special health care needs. And uh, I'm giving kind of an inspirational talk on uh, on um, uh, eating our own young. Uh, oh, cool. Um, while we can't all just get along. So that will be good. And then as you go to EMS Expo, what do you got going on down there? I'm going to be speaking at uh, at Expo on the seventh, uh, talking about teaching, mentoring, and stewardship. How how we can teach our students the right attitude. Oh, I like that. Very good. Awesome. Yeah. You know, all through the year, I think that you know the EMS conferences are are doing a great job of bringing you mm-hmm. know the uh, you know the necess- uh, necessary education uh, and other things to the the people who go there. And you know, as we start to get towards the end of the year, this is where we start to see our big you know, uh, you know, EMS Expo, which is going to be in New Orleans this year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I think that the things that we don't do well enough is we don't accept the education or the continuing education that we need to to grow our skills. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things, and I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it until it changes, is that EMS is a very egotistical business. That's because of that egotism. We no. Don't, yeah, we don't ask the question why. Because we don't want to look like we don't know what we're talking about in front of our peers. But if you know everything mm-hmm. there is to know about EMS, raise your hand. When you guys attend these conferences or when you guys attend EMS Expo, it's imperative that you really check your ego with the door and try to learn something new. And mm-hmm. when you hear something that you don't know, it's okay to ask the question why or what does that mean? 
And uh, but we don't get that enough, Kelly. Why do you think that is that we just can't, uh, you know, accept the fact that we don't know everything there is to know and, and we just need to learn it as we go? Well, I, I think we we kind of foster the attitude that, that uh, our agency is the best and, and we tend to stick in our own bubble or, or as, uh, as my girlfriend calls it, her, our own little silo um, and, and reject any outside influences, particularly if they challenge what we already believe. So you tend to, uh, you, you tend to be reliant on the education and the perspective and the organizational culture that, that uh, is adopted at your agency and, and reject everything else. Uh, and that's how that's how agencies stagnate, and that's how education becomes so fragmented. Uh, is that we don't we don't seek outside input, and and that's one of the great things about going to EMS conferences, is that you see how other people do things, uh, and you don't have to make the same mistakes. And you can you know they don't have to be your mistakes to learn from them. So you can you can. Uh, you know, hang out with with uh, your peers from from different EMS systems and see how they uh, they operate and and the perils and pitfalls that befell each of them and and uh, kind of learn from their example and and uh, you know take a take a lesson from the cautionary tales as well as from the uh, services that you need to emulate. Um, so it's a great way to to educate yourself and broaden your perspective on your chosen profession. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think one of the classes that you'll be giving is when you you know the you you talked about you know growing the next generation of EMS providers. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we got to remember is you know mentorship is all about wisdom. You know, mentorship mm-hmm. is all about past experiences. Mentorship is all about mistakes and successes and challenges and failures, and how we've gotten over them. I mean, one of the one of the quotes that I like to use all the time is that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is knowing that it doesn't go into a fruit salad. And, (laughs) you know, it's those lessons that we now uh, have to pass on to the to the next generation. So but, you know, the conferences are a great way to do that. We need to be able to put our egos aside. We need to be able to accept education. We need to be able to learn from best practices and failures and challenges from other EMS systems and and really kind of now start to grow into the next level of provider. And I don't think we do Mm -hmm. that until we're able to let those egos go. Yep. And and by that same token, um, we also need to to look at people with fresh ideas uh, and and the the heretics that uh, that challenge the status quo. And if there are things that we've done all all along that are no longer working, um, listen to these new voices that may have uh, some outside the box solutions. And and with that, um, I think that's this is the perfect uh, segue to bring in our our guest table segment. Yeah, well, let's do that and. Uh before we do that, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, this woman, I think, and I don't know her really well, but this is a woman that I feel is going right to heaven. I mean, this woman, <laughs> if she took if she took her shirt off, I bet wings would pop out and she would fly around the room. And why am I saying that? Because we are very excited to have EMS1 columnist Nancy McGee joining us. Nancy, come on in here and say hello. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? And please say hello to my partner, Kelly Grayson. Hello, Kelly. So now, um, the reason that I say that you're, you have an, you're an angel, you're going right to heaven, is because you folks that are out there listening may have heard Kelly Grayson mention the name Nancy every now and again, and that is his mm-hmm. significant other, Nancy McGee, and she's here to join us. And that's why I say I have to deal with him one hour a week. And sometimes I need rehab after that, and sometimes you know I'm I'm making those bad decisions. But she lives in the house with him, so Nancy. I do Nancy, purgatory is now 
and you're going straight to the pearly gates in the end. So thank you for joining us. Personally, Chris, I think I need uh, oh. a straight, you know, straight pass through purgatory, straight to the pearly gates. Cause, really? Uh, well, yeah, she can be she can be challenging. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But actually, no, she's she's my my muse and uh, and challenges my assumptions on a lot of things and has changed my mind on a lot of things. Believe it or not, now I'm not an easy guy to change his mind when I when I devoutly believe Preach, something. So Preach. she is. Preach, brother. Preach. She is. Uh, she has managed to actually change my mind on on things, particularly in in her uh, area of expertise, which is volunteer EMS. A lot of the things that I thought I knew about volunteer EMS systems, even though I teach volunteers, and that's that's kind of what I do. Right. Um, I you know I had a lot of uh, erroneous assumptions about the system, and and most of what I thought I knew about volunteer EMS was the conventional wisdom. Uh, and that conventional wisdom she's kind of showed me is no longer applies. And that's, don't right. you, Nancy, why don't you tell us about what you're going to be doing at EMS World Expo in New Orleans? At EMS Expo, I have a two-hour presentation entitled, When the Way You've Always Done It No Longer Works, It's Time Is It Time to Redesign Volunteer EMS? And what I'm looking for talking to you guys and hopefully from your audience is some feedback. I get a lot of um, shares and a lot of likes, but not a lot of feedback and some of the stuff I throw out there. And I'm going to be talking about some fairly controversial issues. So what I'd like to do is kind of mention them and have people have people hit me with their best shot so I can think about what kind of questions I may uh, encounter in the in the question and answer session. And, and I'm going to say it. I think you're one of the... Uh you know, one of the industry experts when it comes to volunteer EMS. And, you know, so now as you start to develop this presentation, and I know a lot of it's going to come from your experiences and a lot of it's going to come from your research. And, but now what you're doing is, 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 is you're, you're asking the inside EMS audience to say, what do you think? And, and what do you feel? And, and how is that going? You know, and, and what are the things that you want to know? So really, as you think about your audience and developing your presentation, you're looking for their feedback to say, uh, tell me what you want to hear. And I think that's really awesome. And I think that's, uh, you know, something I want to applaud you for. But, you know, as far as volunteer EMS uh, goes, you know, I don't take the same path that Kelly does and think that there's a lot of flaws in the system. But, there are, are some controversies that you want to talk about. So if you think about that one question that you want to ask the audience and say, give me some feedback, what do you give them? Well, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, Kelly talked about silos. EMS is EMS. How it's provided um, may be different, but we have to stop excluding each other and having different standards for different models of uh, EMS application. So is that doable? Yes. And I think that there is some controversy about that because a lot of people who are not volunteers seem to be convinced that there always needs to be a lower standard and that volunteers will always expect a lower standard. And I don't believe that to be the case. Okay. So you say that there are two different, uh, there shouldn't be a dual standard for EMS and we should expect the same things out of volunteer systems um, that we expect out of paid systems, be they private or municipal or, or fire department based all one standard and, and volunteer EMS agencies should be held to the same standard as anyone else. Um, how do you rebut the argument that uh, training hours are too onerous? There's there's too big of a, a or too uh, onerous a requirement for additional training, and and how do you go about paying for that? And 
And, uh, you know, you hear the argument in, in every forum you go to uh, where they talk about volunteer EMS and, and what the challenges are. And that's always the thing. How do we pay for it? And how do we convince these people to show up for training uh, uh, when they're doing it for free? So what would be your uh, rebuttal to that kind of question? I think that we have to look at who's making those statements. And I think that sometimes uh, the loudest group does not always represent uh everybody. And in my experience in talking to people, most volunteers have no issue with learning whatever it is going to take to give the best possible patient care. And what their frustration is, is in mandates for um, things like hazmat and things that they don't uh, feel are particularly relevant to what they are trying to do for patients. And that's that's the, the question I get back. What is How is this going to help me do a better job with patient care? You know, when I have to take my free time and spend my money to go get the education, how does it benefit my patients? And there's not always a good answer to that. In lots of parts of the country, uh, volunteers at the um, BLS level are not even allowed to use their current scope of practice, including, you know, glucometry, um, use of EpiPens, uh, giving out aspirin, basic things like that. So as long as they are not being allowed to do what they've already been trained on, why are they spending, you know, why are they being asked to do more? How is it going to be used? Is it just for the sake of uh, education, which has its own intrinsic value? But if you're paying for it and it's not your full-time job, you're going to question its legitimacy. So I think that we need to think about um, when this education is put out there, is it relevant? Is it focused? How do we get buy-in by saying it's, you know, going to actually um, benefit patient outcomes? And how do we make it available and affordable? And I think that the second two answers are easier than the first. Yeah, but then you're getting into the whole the whole um, thought process of saying, you know, if you use hazmat as a as an example, though, you know, if the if the paid systems are doing it, and you know, the volunteers are saying, why do I have to do that, and what does that mean to my you know, to my patient care, what may not mean anything to your patient care today, but when that when that tanker flips over and you know there's a, a car accident, I mean, I think that that's when it comes in handy. So, isn't that feeding into what Kelly was saying about you know the education standards are different and they need to be the same? I mean, it, it seems like uh, it's an argument against that. Maybe hazmat was a bad example, but ah, uh, ah. <laughs> well, give me, an, I, I have, give me an example. Let's let's talk about that. Well, that would be a good question, and I think part of the biggest part of the pushback comes from states that don't use national registry, and the people that took classes ten or fifteen or even twenty years ago have never been required um, or expected to need continuing education on a regular basis. And I think that. Th- that's where the mindset comes from that, you know, I've never had to do this before. Nothing's changed. People haven't changed. And uh, I think that that will be a significant um, benefit if, if National Registry became a, a, an actual requirement, not just for initial education, but afterwards. Also, I don't know how some of these classes are being run, but I, you know, I just assisted with a class uh, with Kelly, and we pretty much covered all the things that people say they have to go to extra classes for: glucometry, uh, use of epinephrine, you know, the epinephrine auto injector, right. um, yeah, using aspirin and cardiac arrest management, and how to change, how to um, uh, understand the differences in oxygen administration. All those things were handled in an initial class with no extra time in a hybrid class. So I'm not sure how around the country some of these classes are being taught, but I think the expectation is that um, they're going to have to go back and relearn other things. Yeah, and 
you know, you mentioned the hybrid class, and and that was one of the things that that I'm discovering has the potential to really be a a game changer in 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 bringing uh, higher quality and and more affordable and accessible education to volunteer EMS squads. You know, we we haven't been harnessing technology uh, efficiently. Uh, and we're still, you know, you've got people that, that, as Nancy said, may be practicing EMS uh, the way they learned it 15 years ago and, and in the same type of environment and, and classroom format that they learned it 15 years ago. So uh, part of the challenge is, is, is showing them that there's a, an easier way to, to educate their crews and their volunteers, and that's using the Internet. Um, we did a, a hybrid EMT class where we met one day a week. And the rest of the rest of the, the sessions were self study online and, and at least half of the class was self study online. So rather we were able to get the EMT class done in, in about half the time it normally takes. Um and it's entirely possible to do a great deal more of it uh online than, than I did in my class. Dan Limmer did a uh, has done several EMT classes for a, a little island off the coast of Maine where all these people are, are volunteer EMS people and, and they have uh, gone through a national registry EMT class uh, with a, a very high uh, pass-fail rate with only 60 hours of live classroom instruction. It's just about making effective use of your time. So when you talk about that, you know, and people can can self-study uh, at their own pace and their own preferred learning methods online uh, from their homes, uh, the the burden uh, on the volunteers is, is much less using that hybrid model or, or even an online education model, uh, almost fully online. Right. Um, and that's that's one of the things we're kind of looking at with uh, with the the uh, agency I'm teaching for is to, to kind of leverage that. And uh, uh, Nancy has discovered that it's uh, it's um, bearing a lot of it has potential to bear a lot of fruit for volunteer EMS as well. You know, I think that there's, I think there's a lot of great points in there, and, and you know, you know, from the side of, uh, you know, looking at volunteer EMS, and you know, one of the things I find uh, very interesting, Nancy, is that in your EMS world uh, description, it says that over sixty percent of EMS providers volunteer. Is that where? Where does that number come from? Is well, Chris, that comes from the National Association of EMTs uh, website, and. About 40% of the people in that number are also career EMS. So that may no, be yeah. why it looks inflated to you. No, but I mean, so, but they're vol- it, my point isn't that that's the makeup of providers. It, yes. I, I'm surprised that even after that they work, they're still volunteering somewhere else to give their time. Well, I think that you find that peop- most people in EMS, if the right people that are EM- in EMS, love what they do. What they want to do is take care of people. And so when they go home, if they can help out in their own community, um, it's something that they also enjoy doing. And a lot of times they have the opportunity to do a lot of training because this is their full-time job. So that's a win-win. So let me ask you this question, Nancy. What is the biggest misconception that people may learn in your class. So, you know, people have this, you know, this preconceived notion about volunteerism. So as you now get up there and as you now, you know, present this material, what do you think the biggest takeaway is going to be from your, for your audience? Well, I think that the, um, the biggest roadblock I run into is people saying it's outdated. It just needs to end. It's, you know, it, in the, in 2016, we shouldn't be having volunteers. The EMS system needs to overcome that. Well, first of all, there's no mechanism to fill that void. 
if we lose the volunteers, just on, on that basis. Billions and billions of dollars are saved by, uh, by volunteer fire and EMS. Secondly, if you look around the rest of the world, um, the United Kingdom, Japan, pretty much any third world country, you're going to find, and Israel has an excellent volunteer system. This is the way that EMS um, is presented around the world. There's volunteer uh, agencies, volunteer EMTs. And so I think that we need to embrace that concept as something that giving back to your community and taking care of your you know, fellow human being, you know, they say that volunteering is its own reward. And I think that people need to learn, uh, have to experience that to understand it. So I think that that's the biggest misconception. This is an outdated type of uh, EMS. Okay. And, and, you know, she, we, we've had this argument ad infinitum at home. And, and, uh, I used to be one of those people that said, well, you know, it, it's, uh, we need to separate the, the communities that can't pay for EMS from the communities who won't pay for EMS. Uh, and where Nancy's from, you know, Connecticut and one of the highest per capita income states in the country, or I think it is the highest per capita income state in the country. You would think that they'd be able to, to afford, EMS and and uh, yet uh, the vast majority of the state is covered by local volunteer EMS squads with paid uh, sprint uh, or intercept medics coming from the base hospitals, um, but that's an entrenched system there and right. and it works for them. It it actually works for them. The only problem is is uh, they're they're facing the the challenges that every every other EMS uh, volunteer or for that matter paid EMS agency is is putting meat in the seat. Uh, they're, they're facing staffing and recruitment and retention problems. But, you know, that was the biggest eye opener for me. Uh, she challenged me one day. She said, well, suppose a, a, a town decides to shift to volunteer from volunteer to paid. How do they pay for it? And if they do find a way to pay for it, what makes them any more skilled running 500 calls a year for a paycheck than they would have been running 500 calls a year uh, as a volunteer? They're still getting the same call volume, uh, and and is the the municipality getting its money's worth? Is a paycheck actually going to make you any more skilled? And she's got a point. You know, you hear people that say, "Well, you're going to call a volunteer plumber, or you're going to call a volunteer uh, electrician, or you're going to call a professional." Well, no, but if you live in Podunk, uh, Iowa, uh, population 300, you're probably not going to have an in a uh, local electrician or a local plumber. And what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to call them from the big city, uh, and you're going to have the same kind of delays, uh, uh, similar delays that you'd have if you were calling uh, an EMT squad or, or a paramedic from a bigger city. Um, if there's not enough business there to support it full time, you're either going to have to have volunteers in town, local, uh, and and try to support that system, or you're going to have to rely on paid crews from larger municipalities that border yours and their response times are going to by necessity be long. So, you know, just the fact that you found a way to pay for EMS doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be any more professional or any more skilled if they're only running the same number of calls a year that they'd have been doing as, as volunteers. And that, I disagree. that's something I'd, all right, tell me why. If well, you're if you're running 400 calls a year no, as a volunteer, I think you're squad. missing the point. Okay, though I think you're missing the point. Right. So I, I want you to work your magic on me now, Nancy. Because if you converted okay. if you converted Kelly, I mean it's like the Stepford Wives going on over here. So so here's my thought now. So if use Connecticut, I mean you're saying that what did you say it was the highest per capita or what? 
as as far as I know, uh, Connecticut has one of the highest per capita incomes okay. uh, in the United States. It's some of the richest communities in the in the United States. People with the wealth and the property values to have sure. a tax base that would support paid EMS squads, yet they choose not to. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to go. really have volunteers. And I think I have to agree with you. I mean, when you talk about the things that go on in New York City and, and a lot of the people who live in Connecticut, I have to agree that I think you're absolutely right. But, you know, here's the thing. You've got volunteer EMS going on right there. If that went away, it's going to force the community to have to do something, which means those rich people that are up there in Connecticut, they need to start paying for their EMS. They need to either start you know, paying for the runs. They need to either start putting a tax base in so they can have an EMS system. So when you talk about that if EMS goes away, people are going to have – they're not paying for it because they don't have to. So when you make them have to pay for it, that's where that's going to come from. Number two. We've got volunteers now who are professional in their careers of being lawyers, being doctors, being accountants, being construction workers. And the challenge that we talk about now is that when are they going to have the time to do all this training? Yeah, Kelly, I'm going to tell you, they're still going to run the same 400 calls, but they're there for 12 hours a day. So now that gives the opportunity for clinical educators to focus on skills, to focus on knowledge, to focus on education, and to focus on specific performance improvement plans. Because now, you know, Kelly, I noticed that your IV skills aren't as good as they could be. It's They're below the system average. Let's go ahead and spend some one-on-one time. Time, or you know what? Let me go ahead and get you over to the local hospital, and, and you can help them with IVs that can help bolster your skills. That's the difference that it's going to make. How many, Chris? How many low volume rural EMS systems do you know of right now that run twelve hour shifts? You know, you, you, we've said this. Uh, you know, well, speaking about crew 20, safety, some of them run twenty four hour shifts, but they're forty eights and seventy twos are still out there. But what are they? And running? they're not going. They're not. They're not the wheel. Running. No, they're not turning a wheel. But then again, you know, you, you say that's what they're doing uh, when they can actually pay the bills. Uh, you know that they're they're doing those kind of shifts for paid EMS systems. Um, for volunteers, I, I don't know that you're going to have uh, uh, a system. I don't know if you're going to be able to transition uh, from a system that that used volunteers uh, to a system that that pays people on twelve hour shifts. Um, but you know, I, I see your point there. I, I just, uh, but I'm going to let Nancy. Yeah, Nancy, with, come on, get me. Come on, Nancy. Thing about you know um, making these communities pay for EMS, um, and, and we assume standing outside the system looking in that they would be better served by uh, for profit, or uh, they would be better served by by taxpayer funded uh, paid EMS systems. But what if they don't want that? I'll let Nancy handle who, that. Who doesn't want it? I mean, Nancy, I'm going to let you jump in. But who doesn't want it? The people who have to pay for it? They're paying for fire. They're paying for police. They're paying for sanitation. What's the difference? Nancy, go ahead and let me hear your rebuttal. Well, first of all, I think that they do have to pay for it. Um, there's no way that any volunteer system, almost any volunteer system, at 500 calls a year or less, and the average is, I think, less than 200 nationwide for volunteers, um, can sustain itself on billing or fish fries or whatever else. The community served is going to need to um, make up whatever the balance is that they can't bring on on their own. So my, my response to this would be that I think that EMS should be a local choice. If you want to pay for 
uh, a full-time paid crew to sit there and, you know, watch TV like the Maytag repairman, and you think that's going to be better for your community, then come up, you know, pony up the tax dollars to do that and get your whole community to decide that that's what they're going to do. However, if what you're looking for is a standard um, and you have volunteers that are willing to meet the standard, then the community should be able to decide that. I'm also a huge fan of the hybrid system. I like the uh, the, the a nonprofit hybrid, you know, part paid and part um, volunteer uh, makeup with career leadership that is dedicated to making sure that everybody, you know, is doing the right things and is uh, helping to bring in volunteers and helping to make sure that that the paid staff are, are getting enough exposure in other areas to make sure that they can help the people who aren't doing it as, as often. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, position that we're in, you know, and, you know, here we are and we're talking about, uh, you know, volunteer EMS and, and I think being good at debate really is understanding both sides of the argument. And I'm with you guys, you know, I think that, you know, volunteer EMS is, is, is a foundation of who we are, is a foundation of where we've come from. And to say that we don't need to have this as part of our, our structure in the United States today is, I think, wrong. And I think it is, you know, antiquated thinking. I think what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to find the means so they're not having the fish fries and the bake sales to put the, you know, the fuel in the ambulances. And, and maybe that means that there needs to be some type of tax subsidy from the community. Maybe that means that, you know, maybe the health systems need to kind of help out with that. Because I got to tell you, the first time there's a cardiac arrest where nobody gets there or, or there's a pediatric seizure where nobody gets there all of a sudden they're doing the bad thing and i think that then to point your finger is the wrong time to do it you're right and and we've we've seen those instances where the seizure and the cardiac arrest and the the critical patient where no one responds in a timely fashion uh happens and there is a public outcry uh that, that's called dc fire ems and they're paid Oh, oh my God, Kelly. Let me get Kelly out of here. Nancy, we're, we're getting up there on time. So I'm going to give you the last shot here uh, before we kick it to Kelly for the close. But, you know, so if you think about your class, that's going to be on Friday, October 7th from 9.15 to 11.15, a two-hour block, and, and that's very unusual when you get to the conferences. Usually you see in those 50-minute blocks, but they're giving you two hours to get this point across. What do you hope to give to the audience who's going to come to this class, and what do you need from them to ensure that this class is going to be a success? Well, I think that they need to um, have an open mind coming in and understand that there's going to be a lot of accountability. You have to go back and look at what your what your mission statement and what your vision statements are. And it's caring for your community and taking care of the patients that need us and not maintaining a good old boys club and also understanding that there's a way to get that done um, with organization and good leadership, uh, a way that works for everybody and integrates well with all other forms of um, EMS models. You know, and that's one of the that's the big takeaway overall that I've I've gotten from sitting in on Nancy's lectures and listening to her argue and talk my ear off about these issues, uh, even when I I'm, I would rather just zone out in front of the television and not talk at all. <laughs> um, 
is that uh, she is she's big on on uh, challenging the status quo. Uh, she is she is definitely an outside the box thinker and and has uh, a, a totally different approach to uh, a lot of these issues that that are longstanding. Uh, they were the same issues that we were having ten years ago. They're the same issues we were having twenty years ago, uh, and they've only gotten worse. Yet we're still trying to approach them with uh, with. Uh, methods that that may have been valid 20 years ago, but are not working with our workforce uh, and the the pool that they need to recruit from. So that's one of the things I, uh, you know, you guys who are, are volunteer EMS, or if you have an interest in volunteer EMS, or you work in a system where you regularly interface with volunteers. Send your questions to Nancy, nancy at mediksolutions.org. She wants to crowdsource this uh, uh, and, and hear the concerns directly from her audience, and she wants to have uh, prepared answers and, and, and solutions, not just uh, talk about the, the, the uh, challenges without discussing any solutions. She wants solutions when, we, uh, when she does the, uh, the workshop at, uh, at Expo. So, um, and uh, if you have something to chime in on the podcast, uh, what we talked about today Email me and Chris and Nancy at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sebolero and our special guest this week, Nancy McGee, the the volunteer EMS the lovely, guru. The lovely Nancy. The lovely Nancy to McGee, go. volunteer EMS guru, outside the box thinker, uh, and general Girl Scout. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>